This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Alex Fitton, and I am here in your ears to bring you a whole season of episodes on how the Enneagram influences our adoption journeys. This is episode four of season seven, and that makes episode 97 overall. Today, we're going to talk about type twos, and I want to give a quick overview of the wonderful people that are the helpers. Okay, so Enneagram type twos are called the helpers. They have the basic motivation to be loved, needed, and appreciated. Their basic fear is to be unwanted or to be seen as unworthy of love. Twos are warm, generous, and hospitable. They are sentimental and can sense the needs and desires of others without even trying. They really like to be the person to everyone in their lives. While they certainly possess amazing leadership skills, twos often find themselves as the second in command or the right-hand man or woman in their professional lives, and they seek out opportunities to be the go-to for their friends and families as well. They love big and they love well, but they also love conditionally. Twos have a way of knowing how everyone else feels and what they need, but somehow always seem to miss their own needs. And when they realize that their needs are not being seen and met by the loved ones around them, they can shoot to their stress number eight very quickly. But we'll get to that in a second. Ultimate healing for a two includes finding identity in God and themselves instead of finding identity in how well they they love. And... When twos reach that point, they're unstoppable in their efforts to change the world around them through selfless service. Twos are in the heart or feelings triad. They externalize these feelings and emotions through their service and love of others while largely ignoring those feelings internally. They, like ones we learned about last week, are in the dependent stance, meaning that they look to something other to guide them. While the ones use their inner critic as their guide, twos use the needs of others to determine their path. Twos with a one wing are called the servant or companion. They seek to make relationships and situations better through a lens of moral obligation. They can tend to believe that they know what's best for everyone and are much more of a fixer type than their wing three counterparts. They will often lean into the one's desire for righteous order above their own emotional needs. But twos with a three wing are called the host or hostess. They tend to be more social than their wing one counterparts and seek to gain more relationships and more friends. Because they see themselves more as hosts than caretakers, they can be more sensitive to reciprocation of love, affirmation, and help. And they can lean more into the three's desire to be perceived a certain way. As always, there are three subtypes of the twos, self-preservation, social, and one-to-one, or counter or sexual, whatever you want to call it. 
So self-preservation twos tend to be much more sensitive to the balance of their giving versus return. They are very warm and welcoming to be sure, but they are also the quickest subtype to go to the eight if they sense that their balance is thrown off. Social twos will often be seen attaching themselves to someone in power, like I said earlier. They will have the lowest self-esteem and the highest esteem for others as they are the most people-oriented subtype and probably the most people-oriented subtype on all of the Enneagram. Then there's one-to-one twos. They tend to be much more intense with their love and affection and have less of a need for all of the friends that their social and self-preservation counterparts do. They are more introverted and tend to just need a few very close relationships. While they can tend to be more manipulative than other two subtypes in order to have their needs met, they also tend to love the biggest to those in their circles. In stress, twos go to eight, the challenger, as I mentioned earlier. When they sense that their needs are not being met, they will externalize their anger like they externalize their feelings. They can tend to lash out more quickly and lose their filter very quickly as well. Insecurity, however, twos go to four, the individualist. They will begin to feel the feelings, so to speak, that they usually lay aside and can begin to seek healthier and more reliable sources to meet their needs than the imperfect humans who love them. They will also, like fours, be able to tap into their creativity and also be able to tap into that ability to sit with others in their pain without the need to fix it. So here to share with us all about adoption and being a two is the one and only Keikilani Jackson from All My Good Things. You may remember her from episode 79, where she shared her whole adoption story with us, but here's a refresher. Keikilani is a mom of six and a wife to her husband of 15 years. Half of her kiddos are biological and the other half are adopted from foster care. Besides being a mom, she's also a full-time blogger and influencer at allmygoodthings.com, and she is a strategy and clarity coach for other, other moms in business. LonnieJackson.com is where she has the privilege of helping them kick overwhelms butt and find the priorities that will take them closer to their dreams and goals. Before we go chat with Keiki Lonnie, though, I want to ask a favor of you guys. I would just be yours forever if you would leave me and the show a review on iTunes. Even if that isn't where you like to listen, you can still leave a review, which will help the show be seen and heard by more adoptive mamas who need it. I'm serious, you guys. It's a big deal, and I will be eternally grateful for your help in rating and reviewing your favorite podcast. Okay, let's go talk to Miss Kegulani Jackson. All right. Welcome to the show, Keiki Lani. Welcome back to the show, I should say, because um, something I'm loving about this season is that it's all past guests. And so everyone already knows your story. I already know your story. And I am just really excited to chat with you again. I'm always excited to chat with you because you're like the coolest. But yeah, welcome to the show. Yay, thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be back on your show. I love it. For sure. And you're wearing like, from my screen, it looks like hot pink earrings, which is on brand for the show. So well, they're technically red. I think it's the lighting in my closet, but they are like, like, you know, American flag red. Well, we're so, going to pretend they're hot pink. Pretend they're hot pink, though, because <laughs> I would love a pair of hot pink. I make them myself. So what? It's, it's my hobby. So I don't sell them. It's just I am obsessed with leather earrings. So I just bought myself a little, I can cut them out and I make my own designs. And yeah. 
Well, so, now you've so, outed yourself, so. Yeah, well, maybe I'll send you a pair. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That made me so happy. I need a hot pink one. <laughs> okay, I'll have to look for hot pink leather. I only use leather scraps, so that's okay. why I say Mm-hmm. So that's I'm always so for a color. <laughs> so fun. Okay, well, like I mentioned, you have been on the show before, and you've already told us your story, but just take a second to remind us of who you are and what you do. All right. But my name is Kiki Lonnie Jackson, and I'm from Hawaii originally. That's where I get the unusual name. I'm not Hawaiian. I am very much a white, blonde, green-eyed girl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I was born and raised there. And now I live in Houston, Texas with my husband of 15 years married this year. And our six kiddos, we have three biological kids and uh, three adopted that are full siblings. And their ages are as of this summer. And I made them all turn the next age once one does because then I can't remember. Of course. It's. 12, 10, 8, 8, 6, and 6. So uh, we have one set of identical twin girls. They're the six-year-olds at the bottom. And then four boys, the two eight-year-olds, uh, we call them involuntary twins because they're six weeks apart and they do not want to be twins. So <laughs> that's kind of our story in a nutshell. And I can't remember if I asked you this before, but do you mark your twins? Like, how do you keep them apart? (laughs) (laughs) Um, To somebody who knows them and sees them often, they're very distinguishable as far as like, you know, when you see them, there's one of the twins is a little heavier. They have different size noses. Um, Their eyes are slightly different. Uh, but if you don't see them very often, you would definitely get confused. And from the back, mm, it's real hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know um, it's really funny because in my mind, I think people – I've heard people be like, well, they're my children, so of course I know them apart. But then I've known other identical twin parents that look at pictures and they, like, can't figure out which kid is in the picture. And I'm like, oh, it's yeah. a real thing. Like, you really can't tell them apart sometimes. They're infant – like, like between three and – 10 10 months 12 months they were very very similar and like if only one is in the picture it's really hard to tell if both of them were in the picture i could pick them out but when just one is there i'm like uh sure it's you (laughs) (laughs) whichever one you're talking to it's them (laughs) yeah Uh pretty much (laughs) oh my gosh i love it um well thank you for indulging me in some twin talk but uh We are here to talk about the Enneagram, and you are like, you're the second. You're the second one, which I'm really excited about because you're a two. And um, that's my wing. So it's a little like self serving that I'm so excited about this conversation. <laughs> but I'm also just really excited to talk to you about it. So take a minute and just tell us what is a two? Oh, man. Now you're going to put me on the spot, and I'm going to describe it all wrong. A two is, a, is like the person who is a servant. Like they serve other people. They Mm -hmm. find the most fulfillment when they're like helping others. So we, I call them the helper. Um, they're the ones that are going to always like show up, drop everything, uh, put other people's needs above their own needs and then feel neglected when no one acknowledges their needs. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, it's kind of a nutshell for me. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm fascinated by twos because I think that, you know, um, thinking about, uh, emotional, like the emotions of the different, so you're you're in the heart triad. Um, mm-hmm. so I cross triads with my one wing too. Um, and 
it's always really fascinating to me to think about the emotion side of things. So like, I know that it, uh, shame is your like negative emotion. I guess there's no such thing as negative emotions, but you know what I mean? So Uh like twos externalize that threes fall asleep to it and fours internalize it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I I don't know that part always really fascinates me because it makes sense if you're saying you're helping others. So you're externalizing, like you're, you're trying to like outwork your shame, uh, which is really interesting to me. Um, how does that, how does that like manifest for you in your just daily life? Not that Uh, specifically, just all the two stuff. Oh man. I, okay. So I learning about being a two in the Enneagram has been like really like, Oh man, that's me. That's me. <laughs> the first place because like when you start talking about two it's like you know I will often um, drop everything to help someone else and like uh, build their needs um, if they have an idea I'm going to run with it if they have something going on I feel very very strongly their feelings I process for them even if they're not processing it or dealing with it I will deal with it in my own self I also um, put other people's feelings on myself, whether they have them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of those things, um, and noticing, knowing now, looking back at my childhood, you know, I see a lot of the ways that um, I inflicted so much pressure and pain on myself because of this need that I had, this really deep desire I had to help other people and, and be a part of other people's lives to make myself feel fulfilled and uh, and using it in the wrong way, <laughs> you know, kind of being a little unhealthy. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that I've always been the friend that everybody calls when there's something going on or if they have something, an extra project that they need. I was the girl growing up, like I was always going to other people's houses and cleaning their houses for them, you know, or like if I was a babysitter, I would also clean the house. I would also do this, you know, always extra and then get frustrated when, it wasn't acknowledged. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I definitely, I mean, just even in like just the wing part, like that's something Mm -hmm. that is really hard for me is it's like, I I struggle with feeling, um, I don't know, like selfish or arrogant because almost, and not that that's what you're saying you are, but I struggle with that because I'm like, was it really selfless if I feel like I need to have it acknowledged? Um, which I know is like one of the biggest struggles of it too, is that whole like martyrdom side of things. Um, I, and my, my best friend is a two and she often says that she can relate so well with the way others are feeling, but it's harder for her to know how she feels. Yes. And it's harder also to, um, I'm very adaptable. Part of my, my Enneagram to portrays itself is like, I will adapt to your needs, your environment, your personality, and then trying to come back and readjust back to who I am is very kind of difficult sometimes to mm-hmm. be like, oh, wait, 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 that's not really what I want or that's not really who I want to be. But I'm so easily adaptable to somebody else, which is a great thing because that makes me able to you know, do a lot. Uh, but it's also very hard to adjust back to being true to myself. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to describe it. Like I, I – um... I can like, it, it, it's a really vivid picture. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's shift a little bit to adoption. Um, how do you think that being a two influenced your desire to adopt and, and your role in the adoption process? 
Oh, yeah. Well, it had everything to do with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, most people don't know this. Um, it's not part of the story that I share, like, normally on my blog or, like, you know, in just general conversation. But I've wanted to – I wanted to adopt since I was a little girl. Like, I checked out books on adoption and the adoption process from the library um, and read them on my break when I was um, I had my first job when I was 16. I worked in this really boring office. So, um, but that's the kind of books I checked out, and I uh, looked into becoming a social worker, uh, possibly coming out a social worker, things like that. So I wanted to adopt for a long time, and I even told my husband that when we were dating. I was like, so "How do you feel about six kids?" Jokingly saying that, had no idea of the, you know future coming <laughs> um and said so, you know I wanted to adopt and he was obviously open to it at the time not necessarily just like yeah yeah sure <laughs> um but yeah that really made a big difference for us like just always having like this innate need to help everyone and fix everyone's problems um and to take care of everybody um that was a big part of wanting to adopt you know Definitely, you're going to pull on my heartstrings with any story. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really, that's an interesting take, just the that the story aspect weighed heavy on you. And I think probably just the emotional, um, I don't know, the emotional aspect of what we do as adoptive parents. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious about how that translated into like the groundwork that you had to do, because your wing is three, um, yeah. which... Uh, I'm time traveling a little bit because I've already recorded the three episode, but when listeners, you have not heard the three episode yet. <laughs> but when I talked to my guest who is a three, I mean, she was saying that like the paperwork and the um, just the doing stuff was like such a inf- like to her that was so influential. So it's really interesting hearing your take when you're more on the emotions or like the feeling side of things. So how did that translate? Like, was it a shift to be like, oh, I've actually got to like do the stuff or did that come pretty naturally? Um. Well, so with me, most things start with emotional connection to help someone else mm-hmm. um, or to, um, you know, that side of my wing t- of my Enneagram 2. And then my 3 will kick in to do the work of it. So uh, the beginning of our story for, like, actually getting the ball moving, yes, I always felt, like, a lot of strong desire to help the kids. We lived in Detroit at the time. There's so many foster care uh, situations, kids on the street. You know, we unofficially fostered some teenage boys for many years. They lived in our house every week, and we took them to football practice, all these things. So I was already doing emotional things. And then a friend of ours um, disclosed to me that those were not her daughters. Those were actually her nieces. She adopted them for foster care. She told me her story. She's like, we're so desperate to find foster families right now. We have no more beds. Um, and that's what triggered the emotion to say, we have to do something now. And then once we went to the orientation classes, uh, my three wing kicked in to do the work. Mm-hmm. Now I do get overwhelmed and emotional still. And, um, so we, it took time for us to do it, uh, to like, as far as like the preparations to get licensed and all that stuff. So, uh, but I keep going back to like, okay, I, I check in with my emotional side to drive the three, if that makes sense. It's yeah. really introspective now looking back because I had no idea at the time that I was a Enneagram 2 wing 3, you know. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it, it is really cool to think back about different parts of our lives or different seasons in our lives and think about how our personality influenced the way we remember that or the way that we acted during it. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a cool exercise for Enneagram nerds like you and I. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so fast forwarding a little bit to to now, how do you think, especially with your kids that came from hard places, um, how does your number influence your parenting? Um, obviously, a lot of sympathy, a lot of like, I want to help them. Um, on the other side of it, um, it goes, it can be also very exhausting for me because I'm so emotionally involved. And then I get frustrated because I can't fix it. Because part of my fulfillment is seeing them like, happy and their faces lit up and, um, you know, joy from me doing the work. And it gets exhausting because it's every day. So, (laughs) you know, so that can be a lot of like, um, triggers, pulling, giving and pushing back and forth on me. Um, So, yeah, that's part of the big part of like, I love helping my kids. I love seeing them succeed and seeing them light up. Um, definitely do more for them than I probably should some days. <laughs> like, come and, here, let me do it. I'll, I'll make you a sandwich. And they're <laughs> wanting to do the thing for themselves. And I'm, oh, no, I can do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. That's really, really fascinating because parenting in general is such a thankless job and it's hard for me as not a two but again that's my wing and so it's like when I feel a little more unhealthy or a little less sure of myself I definitely want that fulfillment from being thanks or being recognized and kids are never going to be able to do that for us so it's right I, I imagine that that's really tough for you um especially just being, you know, with trauma, you can't fix it. It's not a quick fix. And I know that. So you go to eight in, um, in stress and four in security. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, I'm not, I'm very unsure about that. So I go to four in stress. And so I'm really interested to hear that. But when, when I interviewed Suzanne Stabile and she, we talked heavily about as adoptive moms, we are always in stress. And so we are mm-hmm. very consistently in our stress numbers and how we can see beauty in that and how that, that can get stuff done. So how do you see your eight kind of like come in and help your parenting? Uh, eights have a really hard time being patient and yeah. they want things to integrate quickly. And so when twos <laughs> feel unrecognized or unthanked, right. they go into the eight where they just kind yeah. of like explode. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's just described exactly what I feel. <laughs> uh, back last night, that's how I felt. Um, because uh, my daughters who have sensory processing disorder and ADHD um, and are possibly borderline autistic, we keep going back and forth on that uh, with the psychologist. And, you know, the thing is like they they do the same things over and over again and you love like my first instinct is always like loving on them and saying oh we're going to correct them and I'll help you get through this and I'll help you learn a different way and then boom they go back and do the same thing again and I'm just like all right now I'm done I'm gonna lose my mind and I've got I'm over it and then I often you know I lose my cool and then I'm like oh, then I feel like a terrible parent uh and then you're in a shame cycle shame cycle <laughs> yeah that thing um and it then I have to like go calm down and be you know give myself some space so like last night I couldn't sleep but I was up till past midnight even though I was exhausted because it just triggered this bedtime routine in going into the room and finding these things that they did and all this stuff. It's just like it triggers this huge wave of emotions. So rating that in on a regular basis is exhausting. Yeah. 
Oh, I can see that. And I know that eights like they 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 have such big feelings that they suppress and so mm-hmm. they have to recharge um alone, which is odd for an extrovert too. Um and I don't know if you're an introvert or an extrovert, but that's one thing I've learned about myself is that I'm an extrovert, but I have to um like when I'm not healthy, I have to be alone and that's really weird for me. <laughs> so <laughs> um I- I would say I'm not as much as an extrovert as I used to be. Um, I don't, I think it was omnivert that they described. Uh, maybe yeah. that's the word where you're a little bit of both. Um, but yeah, I could definitely, I definitely need more people, but I also need that time alone to just not have to help everybody. Mm. That's, that's part of my two is like, I struggle with community because when I go into community, I feel like I am required to help all the problems mm-hmm. and lead, um, take care of the group. Like if I, if we go to any kind of event, I'm the one that's cooking for everyone. I'm the one that's making sure like, and I'm happy to do that. I volunteer to do that. I love doing that, but I also get exhausted doing that. Mm-hmm. And so trying to push myself to say, okay, I don't have to do all of it. I yeah. can do some of it, you know? So again, with me and my family, that same thing, I put a lot of pressure on, you know, okay, I have to do this because there's, you know, there's seven people around me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, that would be exhausting. So, mm. um, okay. So you have a lot of kids. So my next question has for the Enneagram series is like, how does it, how does your two-ness relate to your kids' personality is not necessarily, I mean, we're not like supposed to type our kids, but it's really interesting to kind of like think about it in terms of the Enneagram. Like I've for sure thought about my kids and I give them room to change. But as of right now, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that one acts a lot like a five or like seems like you might be, you know, whatever. And I don't know if you've done that too, but how do you think that your personality relates most with your kids? And also maybe the kid that you struggle with the most, um, how, how do you relate to him or her and why? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I've typed any of my kids um, necessarily with the Enneagram yet. Um, I have one child in particular that is very much like he cannot lose. He um, is a perfectionist. He always has to look perfect. And then he's a lover at the same time. So, like, he's the one that is always like, can I give you a hug and a kiss, mom? I, you know, he's he's a, also a suck up. Like, I like your hair. <laughs> You know, like whenever like, everybody what did else you is do? in trouble. <laughs> well, it's mostly when everybody else is in trouble. He's like prides himself on not ever being in trouble. Like, so when he does get in trouble, it's it's devastating. So like that kind of situation with him, you know, um, I like being buttered up and he knows that and he manipulates that a little bit. So, you know, <laughs> I think that he's smart in that way because he's figured out me <laughs> as far as like acknowledgement to me. Um and my other children, I also would say, like, I have one that is very, like, he, once he is upset, there is no reason. Like, there's no reasoning with him. Um, he cannot hear. He cannot process. There, He's, like, at a, he's mellow or he, he's unreasonable. Mm. There's no in-between. Um, and I can't, and it's really hard for me as a two to help him because He's in such high stress when he's upset. And so for me, I can't 
I feel like I can't break through and find that win. So we've discovered, okay, I have to remove myself from him and he has to be removed from me. And then we can come back and have a conversation and have a win in parenting. Otherwise I just keep getting up, you know, I keep trying and trying and trying and hitting the wall and he is frustrated with me because I won't stop pestering him. So it's been like, I feel bad about parenting sometimes because I'm like, okay, I can't process this because I'm trying to help you. You won't let me help you. Then I get frustrated. They're even more frustrated. So we, I find I've been learning that removal of myself for a minute, letting them get back to a place of reason and myself more than anything <laughs> uh, helps a lot, helps a whole lot. Interesting. No, I, I, oh man, that's, that's good stuff. Cause I, I know that for both of our types walking away or losing is what it feels like. It's not losing, mm-hmm. but that's, yeah. that's what we tell ourselves in the moment is really mm-hmm. hard. That's really, mm-hmm. it's really hard to be objective in those situations. And I can only imagine for a two taking on those feelings and trying to see logic, like as an adult, trying to see logic through those feelings. Um, man, like that, that puts the term secondary trauma into a whole new meaning. It is. And especially with one of my adopted children who has a lot of and the way they display it, I get so conflicted because I like and I picture myself as how they're feeling the trauma, plus how I need to discipline them, plus how I need to parent them, plus how I need to love on them and help them. It's like so many emotions at the same time that I want I literally feel like I'm going to explode. When we're in those high stress situations of, um, uh, you know, caring for that child. And it's hard to admit because it's just like the overwhelm. It's really what it comes down to is the overwhelm. And his trauma is triggering my trauma. And then my, you know, as an adult, (laughs) you know, that triggers, you know, because that's what triggers him is a you know, adults. And Mm. so, oh my God, you know, it's just, we go back and forth. So it's a really hard place to be. And, and when I talk about it, like I, like just right now, I'm like, oh, I suck as a parent. (laughs) And that's part of the two shaming and feeling like all the feels about how everybody else is feeling. Well, you know, and I often go come back and sit to a situation and say, man, we did not handle that right. I just hurt him more. And I'll, you know, have this point where I'm like, I just beat them up, you know, so, uh, you know, in my own mind, even though I probably did it, and it was fine. And sure. I've talked to the therapist and, about it. And they're like, No, you had to do that. And, you know, sometimes I need that reassurance. And I've learned to, you know, ask for the help to say, Okay, am I doing this right? Or am I just overthinking it over processing it? Because I want it to be fixed. Yeah. Mm. That is, um, that's heavy girl. Like, man, Mm -hmm. um, it's a big weight. And I think the more I learn about each in each Enneagram number, um, I don't know. I think whenever I was first learning about it, I thought about certain numbers and I was like, wow, it would be exhausting to be them. Um, Mm -hmm. but the more I learn, it's exhausting to be all of us. (laughs) Yes. Like the emotional weight that each of us carry individually is a lot, but it gives us more empathy to see each other um, 
I don't know, in different, in, in different ways and see our motivations. Um, so let's, let's shift a little bit to marriage, um, and parenting. So what, what number is your husband? So he refuses to take the Enneagram test because he's an eight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, probably the challenger. He probably is a challenger. Um, so, uh, I, I don't type him. I won't type him, but I know like as far as his personality is, he definitely is a strong, stronger personality. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't, he can, and he's also a fixer. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's hard for me cause I want to fix and help. I want to help and he wants to fix. So yeah, there's a big difference between helping and fixing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're not supposed to type other people, but that does that really does sound similar to an eight. Um, yeah. But so how do you think that your personality, I mean, your two-ness relates to him and marriage? And how does that all translate into your parenting together? Um, I our marriage, I feel like uh, we've really come to a good place of understanding and he you know, him learning about me and the fact that I will just continue to help and ignore myself and ignore myself and ignore myself. Um, and, and saying like to like, well, my feelings don't matter. So I need to just worry about like how old I, I was wrong. I, you know, I say, I'm like, he got so mad at me when we were first married. Stop saying, I'm sorry. You didn't do anything. <laughs> but like, that was my, that's always my first instinct, instinct is to apologize. Even if I'm not even a part of the situation. Um, because I could have done something, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so him, him learning about that and then also pushing me to use my voice. And then me also being saying, you know, I don't need to fix. I don't, this doesn't need fixing. This is me just t- explaining you to you what is happening. And I just need you to listen. So a lot of it has come to, you know, learning about each other, respecting each other. And, re- and then when we're both in stress, remembering that is what they want to do. Like, I, I want to help him. And he's like, no, so let me do it. And vice versa. So, like, I've learned when he's parenting, I need to let him parent mm-hmm. and not interject and help. <laughs> because then he gets he gets escalated because he is trying to do fix it. And then vice versa. Sometimes he just needs to listen to me talk about the situation and he doesn't need to go fix it. Um, with, with our kids, like if he wasn't there or like, I just need to tell you about what happened today. I don't need you to re you know, come back and talk to the kids and hash it out again or anything like that. And then also, you know, he has a different approach to, uh, very real uncensored talking with the kids. And then I'm like, Oh, we have to coddle them. And, (laughs) you know, so, you know, you know, make sure that they are ready or, you know, but he's very, black and white as far as we're going to just be honest. And I've come to learn that that's way easier than coming back and skipping around the subject. So, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, that comparison between helping and fixing cause, um, they can look very similar, but yes. the motivation behind it is very different. And I can see how you'd both need, you need both of those things, but like, together which is great because you're married so that works out nicely but right <laughs> yeah and and it's hard too because I want to help with everything um so like I'll go ahead and start doing something and he's like I've already I, I could do that in 10 seconds stop trying to help like and so uh that can obviously get very frustrating but then on the other hand I help 
like I've learned that he, where what areas he loves to be helped in, and I also learned what areas he loves to fix for me, mm-hmm. and and allowing each other to the space to be happy has really been huge for us. Yeah. Well, and the deadly sin of twos is pride. And so um, I think it, it's always so odd to think about that. And I talk to, like I said, my best friend is a two. So we've talked about this a lot. And I say, it's really weird to think of you as being prideful. And she said, that's actually a really big struggle, but you wouldn't know it because on the surface, that pride looks like just sacrifice, sacrifice. It's like the giving trick, you know, like you're just giving up yourself constantly, but there's this hidden meaning to it. And so I can imagine somebody saying like, just let me do it. It it wounds you way below the surface, you know? Mm -hmm. And also I struggle with like, but I didn't, I am not, I didn't do anything wrong. All I wanted to do was help. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's really prideful (laughs) because I'm never wrong. (laughs) Like, for real, in my head, and it's so hard. I mean, I've always been this way from a little girl, you know, when my parents would come to punish me for something, but I wasn't wrong. I was just doing, you know, like I have this innocent voice in my head that says, like, you're just trying to help. You're just trying to do the right thing. It wasn't wrong. Um, so there's a lot of excuse there from that side. So having somebody come and correct you, it's totally crappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that for sure. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so shifting the focus back onto you, how do you think that you being a two influences your needs as a mom and a wife and um just like who you are, especially in through the lens of adoption? Um so, you know, motherhood definitely, you know, f- seeing my children and seeing them succeed and be happy is really a big fulfillment. When they're lit up and when they're you know, accomplishing things. And I can feel the pride of like, I, I help them do that. You know, uh, that's a big deal for me. And, um, I love to revel in those moments. Um, and as a wife, you know, hearing my husband say, you know, you're amazing. I don't know how, you know, you, you do such a great job and, um, you work so hard, things like that. And having that reward is very big for me. Um, and again, I had to just tell him, this is what I need you to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's, I think, a, a really big step for just in relationships in general is just learning that they cannot read your mind. They're going to keep telling you things the way they want to be heard. Um, and really what it comes down to is you need to tell them how you want it said. Mm-hmm. And and that for my husband and I have, in our marriage as, as a wife, learning that has been like, Oh, yeah, I just need to tell them. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I'm not helping myself. And um, yeah, that's been a big thing. When you started to say, I think you started to say, I don't know how you do it. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, but I hate that phrase. <laughs> I know, but it's such a, like, even just having a wing to, like, that gives me so much joy to feel, I mean, I think it's that pride thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you're right. You don't know how I do it because I am awesome. <laughs> yeah. I I wrote a whole article about that phrase on my blog because I heard it so much. And at first I was like, yes, no one knows how I do it because I help everybody and I'm amazing. But then, uh, honestly, it became this isolating phrase that Mm -hmm. made me feel like no one was like me. I couldn't relate to anyone. 
I couldn't be friends with anyone because I, if I was friends with you, I was the mom in the, in the relationship or the big sister. Um, and it, and it got to be too, it got to be a sad phrase to me. Yeah. Even our like, therapist said it to me. I was like, please don't ever say that to me again. Yeah. And like, why? And I'm like, because everybody says that and I'm dying. I'm screaming on the inside uh, that I'm lonely, that I need, I need help. I'm helping everybody else, but I need the help too. Yeah. And that was actually, that was a callback to our conversation before in your previous episode. Um, and I think that was even like the poll quote was that like, I'm dying inside, but I've been put on this pedestal that I didn't mm-hmm. ask for. And I think that that's kind of like the, a really big struggle for all adoptive moms, but I can see how it would especially be heavy for a two. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because we are prideful in saying like, Oh, I can help everybody else. I can. And I will, I will say like, Oh my God, I can help you. I can do this. I can help, you know, and I'm helping these kids and I'm, you know, taking care of my family and my husband and taking on all these things. And really we we're helping others, everyone else so much, we forget to ask for help. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, that, on that uh, note, what about like self care? I think that, you know, when I've, when I've had these conversations with other um, Enneagram numbers, self care is less overt when we're talking about like, what do we really need? But I can see how a two, it would be more obvious because you don't, you don't do those things for yourself normally. Am I right? Or am, is that off? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I struggle with knowing what I need, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because I don't think about it enough. And so, you know, my husband's like, well, you know, even something this weekend happened, he's like, go get your nails and your toes done. And the salons are open, go ahead, go get a pedicure. And I'm like, no, I don't need to do that. That's just a waste. You know, like it just, and the energy it would take to take care of myself is overwhelming. Yeah. Cause I'm already so tired. So like learning that sometimes taking care of myself, yes, it would be nice to go and, you know, do something for myself and pamper myself, but I also am too tired to even do that because I've, that's too much helping. <laughs> if that makes sense. You'd rather spend so, that energy on someone else. Or, yes, because sending it on somebody else would actually fuel me um, than on myself. It would sit huh. in the tiredness um, or in the exhaustion. Um, because feeling my own feelings is, is not easy to process, but feeling your pre- your feelings, I would much rather process. Wow, that's some like some deep stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot to process. Like I, man, like it yeah. it gives you a new perspective on again what I said. All of us are exhausting to be, okay. but it gives people a new perspective on just the the things you go through on a daily basis, especially working with kids from hard places. Yeah. Um, Man. Okay. So are you ready for some of these closing questions? Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. So just for fun, what is the most overtly two thing about you? Uh, me thinking about like, that you're mad at me if you don't talk to me for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm so bad. I'm like, everybody's mad. I, what did I do? I probably did something. I didn't help them. I didn't show up to them. They're probably, they need something. They're not talking. Yeah. I will overthink so badly that yeah oh no I messed up in some way <laughs> the- I do it too but oh my goodness I'm just thinking about like I don't know anyway yeah when I like yep. forget to text people back or whatever it's like mm-hmm. anyway okay um what is your favorite and least favorite thing about being a two 
Uh, my favorite thing is seeing somebody like super light up because I did something for them, helped them, and seeing like them very happy. I call it like the the bright face moment <laughs> where they're like, it's like when you like. I, that's why I love to cook for people because when they eat my food and they're like, oh my god, this is so good. That's like the my favorite part, you know. Yeah. Uh, also, as a coach, you know. Um, for women right now, I just love it when they're like, oh, this is just amazing. Now I don't, I like they releasing that burden of overwhelm and saying like, I have the freedom to do what I need to do. Like those kinds of moments or a friend who, you know, I help her with something and then she feels the relief. That's my favorite thing. Um, and then my least favorite is like, I guess, sitting in that moment where you're like I don't know if you're still my friend or if I helped you so much and now you don't care I'm feeling used you know yeah. which it I think twos are more susceptible to being used because we don't we say we don't expect anything back but we really do yeah um, and then feeling like well now you know so I've had friends who disappeared on me because after they were kind of feel like they're done with me I can know I helped them as much as I could and boom they're gone and then I'm super emotionally attached and they weren't as emotionally attached man that would be so hard like that yeah that's, it's it's different it's a lot to carry <laughs> no I mean that's a lot to carry like that's totally yeah. valid um man okay so what do you wish every two mom knew about her number going into adoption um, wow, uh, that you can't fix all of the problems. Um, and that you don't know what everyone else is thinking. Uh, I really when we were in the foster care stage of our of this process, when we were just fostering, it was super exhausting to, even though I didn't want to feel all the feels but I would feel what the social worker was thinking and I feel like what she was saying and I would try to I would put intentionally put my feelings into that and then then put the feelings into the foster mom or to biological mom and biological relatives and the supervisor and the lawyer I just it was so overwhelming to have to process all those feelings and then like question my own motivations like well maybe I'm just being too judgmental or maybe I didn't do enough maybe I should have done it this way you know just like so much so as a, an adoptive mom and foster mom yeah I think that you just have to like okay I can process all these feelings and I don't have to feel everything everybody else is feeling about it yeah well mm-hmm. that's that's some really great advice that's really good um okay so Fast forwarding a little bit, what is your biggest piece of advice or encouragement for Enneagram to adoptive moms? So like on this side of adoption. Uh, that you're going to need to get some validation mm-hmm. from people who can say you are feeling the right things or, you know, if you need to go to an eight spot <laughs> that you're right or that you're not right. Uh, you're going to need um, somebody who is you're not helping to tell you that. Ooh, that's good. Someone that you're not yeah. helping to yeah. give you that validation. Yeah. It's hard to like, as, as a two, like a lot of relationships that I am part of, I don't, I don't allow myself to let them, I, I, I in the part of the pride is pride too. I'm like, well, you don't understand mm-hmm. what I'm feeling and how it is to go through this. And a lot of 
the situations I'm in. And, you know, they don't know. And they're trying to give their best advice. But I, I need sometimes the professional help where I'm not the I'm not the leader in the relationship, in my own opinion. <laughs> yeah. I think just for support systems who are supporting a two, um, uh-huh. it's really important to like almost set that those boundaries for them. Like, hey, I don't mm-hmm. need you, but mm-hmm. I want to be your friend. I don't like this yeah. is not a taking relationship. And I think that that's something that for people who are not in it, that feels silly to say. But I've even learned that with my friend. Uh, like I said, my my friend who's a two of just having to be like, this is not me taking advantage of you, just so you know. And yeah, I and, think that's yeah. important. Yeah, that's good advice just for, like I said, support systems, um, especially of adoptive moms. So, okay. Um, we're about to go have a really fun conversation for Patreon <laughs> listeners. But um, before we go, Katie Lenny, where can we find you um, and follow along and all of that stuff? Okay, so you can follow my mom lifestyle blog, which is allmygoodthings.com on Instagram, allmygoodthingsblog. And then also I launched my coaching business full time this Woo. year. I love it. Uh, totally fulfilling my two side. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's Lonnie Jackson coaching, um, LonnieJackson.com, Lonnie Jackson coaching um, on Instagram. Yay. It's so fun. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, okay. So follow her all those places. And if you haven't already, go become a Patreon supporter so that you can learn some really fun facts about Kiki Lonnie. Thank you. so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom Thanks for joining us.